0: Well, we are in the midst of a sermon series called Choosing Faithfulness, and uh, really what this series grows out of is it's kind of, in my own mind, it's kind of been an an attempt to work with the question of how in this season where our, our choices are restricted, to say the least, this season where it feels like we're so bound by circumstances that we cannot change, where do we have agency? Where do we have agency to make active choices that build good things in the midst of these kinds of restrictions? And I, I believe that one of the answers to that question is wrapped up in that word faithfulness. It's about paying attention to something that's closest in to us—the things over which we we still have agency. It's I think the ability to make that choice to attend to and invest in our relationships and to choose faithfulness in those relationships and if we have agency in that how can we be helped to make that choice well one of the ways we can be helped is to kind of consider what what does faithfulness look like what are some of the manifestations of faithfulness and so we're looking at 11 psalms and the the sermon on the mount and And nine of these psalms, Psalms 9 through 17, uh, nine of these psalms have a very similar pattern to them. In some ways, they're all the same psalm. They're praying to God when God seems distant, when choices seem to be restricted, where there's tensions and realities and forces in the world that make it hard to live freely within the world. And all of these psalms are prayers to God when God seems distant, and choosing to address God in these difficult times, in this time of apparent silence, and choosing relationship, choosing faithfulness to that relationship, even though the evidence suggests we might want to move in the other direction. And so what does that choice of faithfulness look like? I think These nine psalms give us a picture of that. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how choosing faithfulness is also choosing gratitude. Last week, we looked at how choosing faithfulness is choosing trust. And today, I want to look with you at Psalm 11 and explore how I think choosing faithfulness means choosing courage. So let's look at Psalm 11, the next one in this listing of psalms. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to me, flee like a bird to the mountains, for look, the wicked bend the bow, they have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his gaze examines humankind. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and his soul hates the lover of violence. On the wicked he will rain coals of fire and sulfur. A scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold God's face. Let's pray. By your spirit, O God, empower us to stop, to look, to listen, to come to awareness of that truth that is always true, but that we often fail to behold, that you are with us, that you are our refuge, that your foundations are unshakable. Help us to live in that place, and so know what it means to live in peace, even in the midst of turmoil. For we pray in the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. More and more I'm, I'm talking about remembering what used to be. And that has more to do with age than just with the nostalgia that COVID has put on all of us, I think. But uh, I find myself, I joke with new pastors that all of my references to pop culture are at least about 20 or 30 years old. Um, and I've joked with you about the same thing. But I am remembering this morning as I consider this psalm, I'm remembering one of those uh, references to something that no longer is. But it was a NPR radio show hosted by Garrison Keeler called Prairie Home Companion. Yeah, I heard an amen there. That's good, yeah. It was for many people their Sabbath practice to listen to that show. And Keeler was a great preacher in a style unlike any other preacher that I'd ever heard, but a storyteller who directed me to grace more often than not, and more than a lot of the members of my guild direct me to grace. Um, uh, Amen again. Yeah, there you go. So... um, he had on this show a variety, if those of you that remember, those of you that don't know about this show, he had a variety of sort of humorous commercials of sponsors of the Prairie Home Companion. And one of the sponsors of the Prairie Home Companion was the Fearmonger Shop. And the Fearmonger Shop was where you could go in and buy any fear you wanted because there was always a good market for fear. The fearmonger stayed in business because people always wanted to buy fear. And they always wanted what the fearmonger was hawking, what the fearmonger was selling. And so the fearmonger shop was there and, and you could go in and buy whatever your fear was. He was selling fear. And frankly, that's what a lot of advertising does. A lot of advertising, a lot of what Madison Avenue is about is selling fear. You are not all you could be. You are not prepared for what might happen. You are not, so therefore buy our product. Fear, envy, all sorts of the seven deadly sins and eight deadly thoughts are available to us in what causes us to buy things and what keeps the consumer economy going. And so Keeler's poke at that was the, the fearmonger shop. And I, I love it because there is in each day an opportunity to respond to a myriad of invitations to be afraid. It's just that simple. And they're all very real, and they ought to cause us a little bit of tension, at least, if not fear. They ought to cause us to sit back and take stock of what reality is, because reality is quite painful to look at. It's hard to go through what we just went through in watching our departure from Afghanistan, And all of the arguments aside on that, but it's hard to go through that and not see how messed up the world is. And there are a lot of other things that would draw our attention to that truth. That's just one of the more recent ones. So there is in each day the opportunity to respond to a myriad of invitations to fear. It's not hard ever, but especially now it's easy to create a list of why we should be afraid. Breakthrough infections in the Delta variant, the effects of climate change and storms and wildfires, inflated real estate and stock market values, holding our breath, hoping that the bubbles won't burst in any way that harms us. Polarized politics and how hard it is to construct a list of things today in light of this polarization that the majority of people might call the common good. All of those things scare me to death. There's a reason for fear. And the temptation in the midst of fear is more often than not to try and run away from the source of it. Some people stay and fight and try and defeat it. Most of us, I think, are happier with the choice of trying to handle it by running away from it. And we can either do that in the blissful sort of delusion that we might live, or we can do that by literally running away, moving out to the better place, finding that land that isn't influenced by these things, and getting some peace. And who can blame us for wanting that? But there are more choices than to simply fight or run, When it comes to fear and Psalm 11 is a description or an explanation of of one of those, those choices. The psalmist in Psalm 11 makes a third choice and that's to stand and watch. To stand and wake up. To stand and be aware of a truth that we might not be seeing and which we're not often invited to see. And I believe that's a courageous choice. It's a courageous choice to choose faithfulness in relationship with God in the midst of all sorts of circumstances that would invite us to fight or to run. And the text of Psalm 11 is, is one of my favorites. It's a dialogue, it's divided in half. You know, the psalmist, first of all, says, How can you say to me, flee like a bird to the wilderness? How can you say to me, you know, in light of all of these dangers, the wicked have bent their bow, we're on the verge of destruction, and if you get destroyed, O king, then the foundations will be destroyed, so run away, run away to the wilderness. Psalm 11 is the choice not to run, because the psalmist asks this simple question, what will running accomplish? How can you say this to me? It's not that the source of fear is without merit. Things are tough. It's not that we don't want to fly. It's not that I haven't ever prayed the prayer of Psalm 55, oh, that I had wings of a dove and I would fly away and I would be at rest. I'd lodge in the wilderness. I'd find my safety. It's not that I haven't prayed that prayer, but the fear mongers says psalm 11 the fearmongers lack some perspective they say run away because if you fall the foundations fail and therefore we're all destroyed but the psalmist says something different and he chooses courage i believe the courage to stand and trust that the foundations can't be destroyed that the foundations will not crack, even if the worst happens and the king loses his life, the foundations will not crack. It's simply a picture of what Paul says when he says that there's really no power in heaven and on earth that can separate us from the love of God. The psalmist puts it this way the Lord is in his holy temple. And that foundation is not going to fail. God will not stop. Being God. And God is not absent from this reality of hell that you're going through, but God has not run, and nor is God inviting you to run. What the Psalmist says is God sees, God knows what's going on, God's gaze, as he puts it, examines humankind. He's perfectly aware, that is, God is perfectly aware of what is righteous and what is wicked and where those things are coming from. And so comes that second part of the psalm where the psalmist essentially says, I will have the courage to trust that God is good. I will have the courage to trust that God sees and I will seek to meet This is the greatest part of this psalm. I will seek to meet God's loving gaze. I will stare into the light of God's face because I know the upright, as he says, the upright will behold God's face. We will become aware when we go searching for that foundation. We don't usually speak of courage in this light, but courage, a big part of courage, is admitting our vulnerability. It's admitting we don't have a chance, a snowball's chance in hell. It's admitting we're completely without tools to overcome the problem that we're facing. There's a lot of courage in doing that because it really changes the way we respond. When we have the courage to admit our vulnerability, on the one hand, it can be like samurai work, if you're familiar with that. A samurai would absolutely imagine his death and meditate on his death and rehearse the various ways that he could possibly die in the battle coming up and be so prepared to accept the reality of his death that he, excuse me, he fought like hell and usually didn't die. That's one thing you can do, I suppose, by admitting your vulnerability. But another that you can do is to admit that there is a power greater than yourself. And that's where the psalmist goes. The psalmist admits his vulnerability and says, essentially, I am shaking, but God cannot be shaken. It's the courage to step back from worry, if you will. The courage to step back from worry and anxiety, which can't accomplish very much, and decide to wait and to look for the revelation of that foundation that cannot be shaken. It's the courage that Jesus calls us to, I think, in Matthew 6 that Connie read earlier to us, where Jesus calls us beyond worry, And asks us why we do worry and directs our attention to the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. And then concludes this great passage by saying, uh, Worry doesn't add much to your life. In fact, what we know today is that anxiety is a good way to reduce the span of your life. And so Jesus says, Live in this moment and not in the past of regret nor in the future of anxiety, but focus in this moment on what tells you the truth of God. And he chooses two very, very innocuous things that we usually pay no attention to, to invite us to pay attention to the truth of God. Consider the birds of the air, they neither toil nor spin, and yet um, your heavenly Father feeds them. And consider the lilies of the field. I, I, I've got that mixed up. The lilies don't toil and spin, but the the birds do something else. Okay. They they yeah. You can read it, but uh, <laughs> uh, so you got this image of the lilies being clothed with such beauty that, that Solomon and gall his, his glory and all of his money and all of his seamstresses and tailors could never have produced. He says, focus on the moment that tells you what is true about God. Explore and rest in the truth of our creator and our creator's desires. Choose courage and admit the truth. The truth about the world's brokenness, the truth about your own vulnerability, but most importantly, the truth of the steadfast love of your creator, the truth that that steadfast love is something he has for you and all of creation, and then choose courage, the courage to wait, the courage to be, the courage to rest in who you are god has created us to be who god has made us to be and that is one who is in relationship with god as i was thinking about considering the lilies i went to a, a book that was read to me as a child and that i read to my children ferdinand the bold do you know this book for me it's just part of the canon of childhood I can't imagine anyone not knowing it, but I'm sure there are some who don't. Uh, it was written in 1936 and illustrated in 1936. It's the story of Ferdinand the Bull in Spain, who is born and, and his mother discovers that Ferdinand loves to smell the flowers more than he loves to play headbutting and uh, ground-pawing games that show his strength. And so he sits among the flowers And it happens one day after Ferdinand has grown up that the five scouts from the bull ring in Madrid come to look for a fierce bull to be in the fight of the opening fight of of the bullfight season. And Ferdinand happens to be amidst the flowers and happens to get stung by a bee at the time that the five scouts are there. And he starts acting quite fiercely. Pawing the ground and snorting and butting his head and doing all of those things, and he looks—he's very, very big, and he looks very, very fierce. And so they put him in a cart and take him off to Madrid to star in the opening bullfight. And the author tell and the illustrator tell the story of everyone gathering for this, and they—they point to the beautiful ladies who are coming to sit in the stands, who are all wearing flowers in their. And there comes the moment where all of the bullfighters and all of the crowd anticipate Ferdinand entering the ring. And he has been billed as this very fierce, big bull. And the illustrator, I wish I could show this to you. I I meant to have it scanned and put into the Zoom list today, but didn't get to that. Anyway, Ferdinand emerges from the wings of of the stadium And you just see this little head kind of peeking out into the the stadium. And he ultimately walks out and he sits in the middle of the ring and just is overwhelmed with the smell of the flowers and doesn't do a thing. They try to whip up his anger. They try to get him to respond. But all he can do is smell the flowers. And the story ends with him being carted home to live under his cork tree in the countryside And there, spend the rest of his life smelling the flowers. It's a lovely story. Um, It's just a favorite. But I think there is some courage in that picture of Ferdinand of simply resting in his true self, resting in who he was created to be. And personally, I think it takes courage to consider the lilies. It's the courage to act on the truth about God, the truth also about ourselves, the courage to admit our vulnerability, the courage to trust that God's foundations last. It's the courage of, to let go of worry and to do the only thing we can do, which is wait and try to stay awake. To wait with our eyes focused on God. And essentially to do so because we know that there is nothing that can disconnect his loving gaze on us. Let's pray. Lord, grant us courage. Grant us the wisdom of knowing our own weakness and also the sources of our own agency, and turn our attention in both situations to you. For you are the fountain of our life. You are the one who sustains us and we give thanks to you for that. And So help us to take our fears and put them in a place that puts them in perspective. And then to trust that you are indeed in your holy temple, which is very much established in our midst. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name.